Why am I not showing in the video? You're too handsome. You broke the screen. Yeah, I'm sure in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie. Sharing stories, empowering mindsets. Today's guest is Greg Stewart. He is a Paralympic shot put champion. He earned his gold medal and the Paralympic record at the Tokyo 2020 Games, and he's here to tell us all about it. Greg is extraordinarily athletic and has excelled in a variety of sports, both para and able-bodied. He was born without his left forearm, and it wasn't until he was 28 years old that he became comfortable identifying as a disabled person. Greg is an empowerment coach, and he and psychologist Lowell connected on a deep and insightful level. Greg even took us through an activity illustrating the importance of being in the moment and trusting the process. He chatted with us from his home in Kamloops, BC. Greg shared a lot of wisdom in general and also encouraged those who are struggling to reach out. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. How are you? I'm super awesome. Awesome. So I found out this week that we have a friend in common, Ross Beckering. Ross Beckering? Yeah. So he was a guest of ours on the podcast a couple weeks ago. I was reading that. I was like, oh, they interviewed Ross. I'm like, oh, weird. Yeah, I know. Small world, hey? I played basketball against him. Yeah. Yeah. So I texted him and I was like, guess what? You're not our tallest guest. I thought you would be our tallest guest, but now Greg Stewart's our guest and he's taller. And I would have never assumed that all the super tall people in the world knew each other until he said, I know Greg Stewart, tell him hi. And so now I have to assume that all the super tall people in the world know each other. Especially in Canada, because if you're super tall, you probably played basketball at one point (laughs) and you probably played against each other. So I know Ross and Henry. Oh, awesome. Their cousins live here in Canada. So wow, it is a small world. Okay. So you played university basketball against them then. I played university basketball against him. And then I used to play on our national disabled volleyball team. And now I'm also a Paralympic shot putter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have quite the athletic resume. Yes. And congratulations, by the way. Gold medal champion. Very exciting. Do you want to see the medal? Of, of course. So this is Paralympic gold medal. Do these medals have Braille on them? They do. Very cool. Are you wearing a Pan Am? I am. So uh, this is Lowell's. They gave him a size small by accident. So I took it. That's perfect. We were back in Lima together in 2019. We were. We were probably in the same building there. Not only that, but you guys both scored silver medals, I believe. We crushed it. Yeah. What type of cycling do you do? Fast. Only fast. (laughs) None of this slow cycling stuff. So then are you on a track? Do you do the palodrome? Yeah, correct. So in visually impaired cycling, we can do both the track and the road. Okay. So we did four events in the Pan Am Games. Awesome. Did you go to Tokyo? We did not qualify for Tokyo. Uh I switched pilots right after Lima, and we hadn't had a chance to qualify yet. Mm. All the qualifying races were canceled because of COVID, so. So we're pushing on to Paris and wondering, are you aiming for Paris as well? Or or now you've got champion, world champion, Olympic champion. Do Do you retire at the top or do you keep going? I actually don't have world champion. I got silver at world championships. Okay. Oh, there's still, there's another prize to go for. <laughs> <laughs> but I have three world championships already from volleyball. So. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness. You know, it's been a huge discussion. Do you compete again to maintain your championship or your gold medal? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm older. You know, I'm 35 now. And I also have the other aspect to competing and that's life. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not the best sport. So I honestly don't have an answer yet. Mm-hmm. When I sat down with my coach here last week, the discussion was, I'm not going to throw till at least January, but I'm going to get back into the gym and start lifting again and try and maintain a little bit of shape, maybe drop a few pounds. Going into Tokyo, I was in the best shape of my life for throwing mm-hmm. wise. And so I'm just kind of trying to determine whether I want to keep doing that or not. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Like oh, throwing nice. heavy. Jack is not the easiest thing to do. So You also seem like the kind of person that you could kind of roll a dice and just pick another random sport and then go excel at that. <laughs> so what would be the next sport? <laughs> um, velodrome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, maybe you should, you could try piloting Lowell. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to need a really big bike. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Get a big bike. You're seven foot two. I am. Yeah. Yeah. You're a little yeah. bit taller than us. A little. That's okay. Just I'm a, a little bit taller everybody well what is the height like with your competitors and shot put because i imagine height is a bit of an advantage so are your competitors pretty tall no so the top three it was me at seven two 
Nikolai, I believe, is probably around 6'2", 6'3". And then Josh is only like 5'10". Oh, wow. But then you have like the different avenues of it, right? The smaller you are, the faster you can move, mm. right? And the whole purpose of throwing a shot put is how fast can you move that shot put? Okay. Right. So you got these smaller guys that are doing a rotation for throwing, whereas I glide. Oh, okay. And they're generating a lot of speed. They're gener- generating a lot of power that way and able to throw over the fire. Josh was, is the world record holder at 1680. Oh, oh man, you're close. Yeah, 1675 <laughs> on my first throw. Didn't get wow. any further. And then Nikolai is kind of maybe in the middle of the two of us. I know I still have a foot on him, but he is strong and fast and explosive. Whereas yeah. I would consider myself a little bit slower on the speed side, but I got a lot of height and I got a lot of power behind yeah. me. How heavy are the shot put balls? Is that what you call them? Honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> I even try, like, I'm, like, I'm like, are these shot puts? Yeah. Are they balls? <laughs> Depending on what color they are, you got to be careful how you're like, oh, these are red, these are blue. And then, what are they, blue shot put balls? I don't know. <laughs> Um, but 13.2 pounds is the oh, wow. comp weight that I throw. Is that the same weight as an able-bodied? No, able-bodied throws a 16 pound. And what kind of distance are able-bodies throwing? 23.37 meters is the world record. Oh, wow. That's insane far. That's insane far. Yeah, that wow. is. Uh, yeah. And I'm throwing 56, 57. Okay, I don't even think I could throw it at all like i'm just thinking that kind of a weight in a medicine ball just doing you know those like sit-ups where you twist <laughs> that's quite quite substantial for me just that like the twisting and the pushing and the moving and everything like that's just hard on your body oh yeah my back is sore yeah i read you threw your back out right before parapanam games in peru and still pulled off the silver so how's your back now probably the same because <laughs> uh week before covid i had like a really bad blowout while training uh, i threw and as i twisted it just tightened up on me and i couldn't mm-hmm. move for like two days since then i've had like five or six minor tweaks there's a level there where i'm like maybe i should just step down mm-hmm. for my health sake just say you know i know i'm already good enough mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of life and as a person and everything like that you know this gold medal is again just icing on the cake yeah i know i'm not defined by this medal mm-hmm. i'm defined by my actions and so I'm in a place where I can leave, but at the same time too, there is a little bit, you know, we all know being competitors, you kind of want to push a little bit more and Mm -hmm. see what else you can achieve, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Higher, faster, stronger. And we're going to talk about your life and growing up and how you got into sport and what sport means to you, this idea of improving. But I do want to cap off this Tokyo piece. You were aiming to get to the Paralympics and you made it. Can you please tell us what these games were like for you? Like you said, I always wanted to go to the Paralympic Games. I was about 12 years on our national disabled volleyball team and never had the opportunity to go. I was both a standing and seated disabled team. That piece was missing, attending the greatest competition in the world. Mm. And because of that, I was like, I really want to take part in it. The thought of not meddling is way easier than the thought of meddling because then you don't have that pressure that you're Mm -hmm. creating. When Carla, our APA athletic performance advisor, called me up and said, hey, you've been selected to the Paralympic team. I was like, okay, cool, awesome. And then hung up the phone and then just cried. I probably cried for like five, 10 minutes, called my mom. I was like, mom, I made it to the Paralympics. And then she hung up and cried for 20 minutes also. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy crying. It's one of my things that I love being able to share is because I think it's such an important thing. You know, a few months leading up to Tokyo, I was getting to the point where it's like, yeah, you know, just cancel it. You're so close to achieving your goal, but it's just that much harder to get to that point. You're like, you know what? It's easier just to quit than to actually fall through on it. But good thing they didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't help having COVID dangling the whole time, just not, yeah, exactly. not knowing. Exactly. And so showing up was like, holy cow, this is really happening. And I don't think the first time I really felt the fact that I was at the Paralympics is when I walked in the stadium to compete. You know, it was tough in, in Tokyo because because of COVID. Yeah. Very limited. It, well, extremely limited. There are so many restrictions on what you could do. Mm-hmm. You trained at a training camp in Gifu, which was a six-hour drive away uh, bus. So even there, like, we were confined to, like, three floors in our hotel. We couldn't walk across the street to the stadium. We had to take a five-minute bus around to actually go to it. Mm. Oh, wow. You were really limited on how you could express yourself because you couldn't do anything when you were there. but yeah walking into the stadium and just like looking up and like i know i'm big but man did i feel small Wow! like what a humbling feeling right to be like wow like yeah there wasn't any people in the stands 
but all the seats and everything there were multicolored. So it kind of gave that impact oh, of cool. people being there. Plus like there's media and there's other athletes and coaches and stuff like that. So it's probably still, you know, 5,000 people in there. Oh, wow. And yeah, just the goosebumps. I just remember like looking up at the giant LED lights, just like empowering what would be a tiny place in this gigantic city, right? And then you felt extremely tiny. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm here. Mm. And then let's win a freaking medal. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's do this. You know, it wasn't that's winning medals. It was like, let's freaking do this. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> Turn up the heat. You know, I looked at a few of my competitors and I'm like, it's go time. Yeah, I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> nice. Nice. So having experienced a Paralympic Games during COVID, where the stands are not full of people, does that make you more motivated to maybe want to go for uh, Paralympics in a post-COVID world where maybe the stands will be full? Maybe. But I also have that feeling in that discussion that when you're competing in games, I'm sure you know this, Lowell, well, that we get tunnel vision when we're competing. Yeah, it's like we're the only one there and like mm. I want to share this with really quickly is that when people talk about greatness mm. people speak about maybe how they forget things so like think of LeBron James or Sinclair or you know Tiger Woods you know any great athletes from you know what I've heard and stuff they don't remember doing everything it just happened mm. right because they're in the moment they're in this place of trust they're in this place of integrity and by being in that moment at that time and trusting in everything that's going on around you, that to me is what greatness is. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of athletes go through it. And why I was saying like this whole tunnel vision, whether there's people in the stands or not, we're experiencing greatness at that moment in time so that we can focus on what is currently going on. Mm -hmm. So for me, not having people in the stands, it would have been cool to have like that roar in the background, but that still mm -hmm. doesn't play or dictate anything in terms of how I compete. Mm -hmm. And realistically, I don't even know they're there when I'm competing because I'm so focused on being great, focused on my technique, focused on, you know, having the game plan that we had going into the games. That was what I was focused on. Have you always been able to focus like that? Or is that something that you've learned and developed over your years? Oh, totally learned. Yeah, okay. totally learned. And at the same time, too, I practice a lot of like mental health, mental awareness. And so I think having that extra edge, being aware of how I'm actually emotionally feeling going into things mm -hmm. so that I can put in tools and whatnot to move through some of those things or actually experience other parts on a bigger level and stuff like that to help carry me through. I think it was definitely a learned skill, I would say, or a learned awareness. I think of myself when I played university basketball. In basketball, I was never bad at ease, whereas when, you know, I talked to so many people that watched me compete, and they're like, I've never seen you so calm before in a meet, so calm in anything. And I was like, oh, I was just trying to focus on keeping a shot with tight in my neck because that's what the game plan was going in. Mm. So you focused on the right thing. And we also heard that your focus was to do that first shot as your best shot. Yeah. So any technical skill, whether it's shooting a free throw, throwing a shot put, or even like swinging a golf club, when you want to throw a shot put far or really hammer on a golf ball, what typically happens is you hook your shot, you slice it, you drop it. Typically when we try really hard to do something, we aren't very successful at it. And why I say that is because on your first throw, you want to try and throw the furthest hardest shot you can so that you can mentally get into the minds of other people mm. so on my first throw being able to throw a paralympic record and a pb on the very first one mm -hmm. now the other guys have to throw harder yeah and what do we know when we throw harder is we tend to make more mistakes gearing up to tokyo that was the discussion on the first and it was tough too because many many events leading up to that i would always screw up on the first throw because you're trying so hard Exactly. Oh. exactly right? You're like, I want to get this really far. Yeah. Going into the actual competition in Tokyo, our team coach for throws, our plan was to keep the shot put tight in the neck. That's it. Nothing else. And that's what we did. Kim Cousins is her name. And my coach back home, Dylan Armstrong, he was the one that he obviously was setting everything up. He was like, hey, just focus on this. Mm -hmm. And then when we were in our training camp and then we were at in the actual competition, we're just like, keep the shot put tight. Let the rest take course, right? And so that's exactly what happened. I remember like stepping into there, yelling tight, 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 Kim yelling tight, 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 and then just throwing it. And I don't remember throwing it. And so mm -hmm. that goes back to that whole kind of greatness talk. That was my moment of greatness. It only happened like this. 
but it gave me an opportunity to experience something great or it gave me the opportunity to experience trust, integrity, responsibility, accountability, everything like that in one split second. Mm. And that's something that I'm extremely grateful for and super pumped about. That second encompassed so many things. Absolutely. One of my two biggest words that I use for life and sport is integrity and consistency. Mm. My integrity is what builds me. That's what creates me. And if I'm not holding myself in a place of integrity, well, that's when problems happen. That's when, you know, chaos is created. How would you define the word integrity? For me, I think of integrity, it's an umbrella. There's the word integrity, and then there's accountability, responsibility, commitment, courage, determination. All of those encompass what integrity is. So if you're not holding yourself accountable, well, how can you say that you're showing up for yourself on a consistent level? If you're not being responsible and making poor choices on things for training or for food or whatever, well, of course, you're going to see bad habits. And that to me is integrity. My integrity is all of those. And if I'm in line with all of those, whenever I go to a competition, if I know I hold myself at that same level, no matter what happens, whether it's a win or lose, I can still be grateful for what happened because I held myself at that place. But it doesn't have to be like holding myself super high. I can hold myself at a nice level area. Sorry, I got deep. Oh, man, love deep conversations. Oh, yeah. Well, this guy's a psychologist right here. So (laughs) these words have power, but also the emotion behind the words as you speak about them, as you've incorporated it, as they become a part of your story, a part of your being and the action of living in character with courage and gratitude and responsibility and this umbrella of integrity. It's beautiful. And, And this doesn't come easy. This comes with work. And I'm guessing there's been some times where you haven't been able to live up to that. Totally. I would say one of the prime examples of me not living up to it was me trying to figure out what my identity was coming out of playing university basketball. How many athletes struggle with identity? Mm-hmm. I would say that's honestly our biggest one. And that's why I was saying earlier, you know, I know I'm not defined by my sport. I'm defined by my actions and how I move forward and do stuff, right? Because I've been through that road and it sucks. Right. Well, I'm basketball, Greg. Well, no, you're not. You're just Greg now in, le- in regular life and reality. You know, well, I'm gold medal, Greg. No, you're not. You're just Greg now. And like, yeah, you have a gold medal, but it's understanding all of that. Emotions are huge. So after I finished playing university basketball, I struggled for about two years just being like, who the hell am I? Mm-hmm. Right. Am I basketball, Greg? Or am I big, tall, Greg? Or am I Greg? I don't know which one I am. And all of these places of like accountability, it's like, well, how do I hold myself accountable when I don't even know which one I am? Mm-hmm. I was an emotional wrecking ball. Mm-hmm. And then about seven years ago, I did my personal empowerment training where I actually got to like dig extremely deep into my childhood, understanding my core values, my family beliefs, everything like that, like actually looking at it, facing it and being like, oh, well, that's why I always react to this situation is because this happened to me when I was six. I was 28 years old when I finally recognized and saw myself as a disabled person. Like I was born with one arm. Mm. It took me 28 years to actually be like, I am disabled. Mm. That was an opportunity for me to determine a bit more of my identity is I am a disabled person and I am so grateful for it. And I'm very happy about it. Was that when you made the transition to Parasport? I wasn't a transition then, but it was a few years later. That was back in 2014, 2017 is when I stepped into para-athletics. But I've always done para-sport. I'd always done like disabled volleyball, but I did able-bodied basketball. When I did the two of them, I was always contradicting myself Mm. because I saw myself as an abled basketball player, but I saw myself as an abled volleyball player on a disabled team. Okay. Mm. So then I was trying to balance something that Technically, it couldn't balance because I'm not looking at them the same way. Right. Mm. There's incongruence there. Totally. I was a walking contradiction. (laughs) And that messes with sense of self. It messes with identity. Totally. And on top of it, I'm seven foot two. And honestly, I would say my biggest disability is my height. It's not my arm. Mm. I unpacked a lot. It was like six months long. It was group sessions. Mm. It was like 500 hours. I'm extremely grateful that I did it, that I got to share these experiences with other people. And that's the uniqueness of group work too, Mm -hmm. is that I was typically the last one to share out of seven. And I would show up being like, I'm feeling this way, but they got to share first. And by the time it got to me, I was already kind of healing some of those areas because even though their scenarios were completely different, 
our reactions, our responses were the same. Mm. We still felt the same way. So whether I lost a competition or they lost a dog, we're both grieving. Yeah. That ability to see things in a different way, but still feel the exact same connection totally changed how I viewed my life. To this day, also changed. That's why I also do empowerment training with clients and stuff like that. It's definitely on a more holistic approach, but we're all trying to find connection. Yeah. We all want to be loved. We all want to be part of mm-hmm. something. Belonging. 100%. That brings up a big piece. When we are different, when we're seen as the other in some way, in, in height or disability, we are seen as the other for some. And a human reaction to that can be bullying, can be ostracizing, can be teasing. And I'm wondering if you have experienced that. Is that part of trying to find your belonging with disability, with height? I would say for sure. I would say I probably was the bully at one point. Mm. Hurt people, hurt people. Exactly. Hurt people, hurt people. Less than people treat others less than. Mm. The reason why I say that is I only remember one bullying incident for me when I was a kid. And, you know, I bullied this young girl while my mom found out. Uh (laughs) Good thing mom's in the picture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and she gave me a really hard time, but she also made me write an apology letter and she made me walk down to the girl's house, which is down the street and read it to her and her mom. Mm. Wow. And then I was grounded, (laughs) (laughs) but it was a very impactful experience Mm -hmm. about we don't treat people this way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think having that experience on the bullying side, but also having the experience on the forgiving side, or at least forgiving myself helped kind of shape me to the direction I was going growing up. But I was still struggling because as we all know, on the disabled side, we want to fit in. I know this is for everybody, able or not, but it definitely is heightened. I want to say on the more disabled side, because we're physically seen that way. Mm. When I was growing up, I was always like, I just want to fit in, just want to fit in. Then I got really tall. How old were you when you shot up above everyone else? When I was 14, I was six foot eight. Oh my word. Okay. Yeah. That would stand out a bit. I was 6'8 and 172 pounds. At 14. <laughs> Tell me, mom. She's like, Greg was as skinny as a rake. I'm like, Thanks, mom. That's <laughs> not, not lying. <laughs> so now I'm 7'2 and 345. So there's a big difference there. Oh, wow. But I'm at this height and people are telling me, Hey, do basketball, do volleyball. Well, what do you think somebody who wants to fit in is going to do? Mm-hmm. So did you enjoy it? Well, that's the thing. Subconsciously, no. Consciously, I was unaware of what I was feeling Mm -hmm. because I'm following this external voice of, hey, do this because you're going to be good at it. Mm -hmm. So I do it. I'm good at it, but I'm not feeling fulfilled. And I follow that for 10, 15 years. And then I have an identity crisis where I'm like, well, who the hell am I? Mm -hmm. Then I do soul searching. Then I do personal empowerment. And then I'm able to be like, holy hell, like I'm trying to put a square into a circle, a hole. Mm -hmm. Like it's never going to happen until I can actually shave all the edges off and put a circle in a circle. Mm. And that's what I was able to do. Don't get me wrong, I still struggle. Like, who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you found that with shot put? Like you felt that, that was a fit and you did enjoy it? What a perfect segue. Circle, shot put, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, my shot put journey started when I was at a Christmas party in a hotel. I was walking to the bathroom and I ran into a gentleman, his name is Rick Wheely. He is a wheelchair racer in athletics, been it for years, but he was a coach then. We kind of got chatting, more of the team showed up, so physios and whatnot, got chatting, we exchanged numbers. But what they said was, hey, you'd actually be pretty good at shot putting discus. Well, where have I heard you should or you would be good at, right? Yeah. So now I'm, I'm already hearing them like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, we'll see. This is in November mm. of 2016 and then January of 2017. They're like, hey, like we're just doing an ID camp. If you're interested, let us know. Come and check it out. So I did. I went to Montreal and I threw the shot put and I threw the discus. And I was like, hey, this is kind of fun. Like I'm enjoying this. Obviously, the external influence around me is like, whoa, you're doing really good. So mm-hmm. of course, part of me is like, like, well, I really want to impress all of this. Yeah. But I also am hearing this, my other voice, my identity being like, hey, do you actually like this? Do you want to do this? Or are you doing this for other people? When I got home, I was like, if I want to do this, I actually got to commit to it because I'm now at an individual um, competitive level. I'm not on a team. Mm-hmm. There's big dynamics between the two of them. Team is, you know, it all chemistry, everything like that. There's reliance on one another. You know, you, you got to show up for one another. But on the individual level, if you don't show up, it's on you. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to give it a shot, see how it goes. And it worked. 
Mm. I really enjoyed the level of independence that it created within me. Showing up practice at five o'clock in the morning by myself when it's mm. dark out and I stop my own lights to throw them. Like if I didn't enjoy that, I wouldn't be doing that. Minus two outside and you're holding a steel ball. Like that's, so you're having those deep root connections to myself where I'm like, I enjoy what I'm doing mm. and I'm actually pretty good at it too. And so I followed that for a while and I was consistently not judging myself, but functioning where person of the direction I'm going as a human being, right? I was always being like, Hey, if you're not enjoying this, don't do this. Mm. Always asking myself questions. Mm. Are you enjoying this or not? Do you love what you're doing or not? Mm -hmm. And then when things are challenging, being like, Hey, this is just one day in this goal. Mm -hmm. Sport is so end focused. Like our goal is to go to the Paralympics. Our goal is to do this. Our goal is to get so caught up in that angle that we forget the concept of actually being in it. Mm -hmm. And realistically, I think we need to learn to flip it completely. It's not the end goal. Mm -hmm. It is this current goal in this moment in time that's going to get you further, period. There is no end goal. It's the process. It's the moment. It's now. All we have is now. Exactly. And I'm sure experiences a lot with clients that are depressed or, you know, super anxious and stuff mm -hmm. like that. If you were able to put them in the current, yeah. none of that would happen. Yeah. And this idea that humans have this amazing capacity to create the future and to recreate the past. And with that power, unfortunately, a lot of people create a future of worry and dread and fear, or they recreate a past of hurt, of pain, of negativity. But if we use mm -hmm. that power we have to create a future of hope and joy and connection and recreate memories of connection and joy, we actually can experience both the future and the past in the now in a very different way. Oh, I love that goosebumps right now. No. That's amazing. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that. It's so true. It is so true, right? Or even just like forgiving your past, like giving her the opportunity to forgive what had happened so oh. that you can greatness after absolutely and those are things i practice mm. often i'm grateful that i can be aware but i'm still a human being mm -hmm. you know and i'm still going to get into my rights and i'm still going to be in places where it's like why is the world coming down on me what's going on mm -hmm. so i see i've been seeing my empowerment coach i've been seeing her for seven years i call it my counseling session but for the first five years i saw her every two weeks even when things weren't going bad. Yeah. I've said this in many interviews, go see a counselor, mm. even if you don't have any problems. Yeah. They are your best friend when you get into a problem, but they also help to show you and experience tools so that if you do get yourself in that situation, you have the opportunity yeah. to move through, forgive, yeah. process, whatever, accept to move forward, right? Totally. And not make it this big. You practice the skill so you can use it when you need it, right? If you're only trying to exactly. use a skill for the first time when it's crucial, you're not going to be using it as well. So deep breathing beforehand, before you actually need it in a moment of panic is much more beneficial. Yeah. Well, it's like, why do you cycle? Why do I throw a shot put to get better? Well, what do I got to do in order to do that? Well, I got to practice. Mm -hmm. Mental health is exactly the same. It's a different muscle you're exercising. Yeah. I'm interested in you giving us a primer of what self-empowerment means to you and what the work looks like so kind of bring it to practical level so when people are hearing that word what is a skill you're practicing let's break it down to the basics you know what's funny i always struggle with this because when you're practicing it so consistently so easy to like microscopically look at every little detail but then to pull yourself back and just look at it at a very basic is a tough challenge mm -hmm. but i think one of the best ways to just kind of practice or be in a place of awareness is by stopping and taking a breath mm -hmm. when craziness is going on or when greatness is going on to stop and just literally go and then feel your body through that mm -hmm. and then once you can identify what the body is feeling then you can have a sense of direction that you're going with it. Beautiful. I practice as an empowerment coach, what we call the five main emotions. So we have fear, guilt, anger, sadness, and love and joy. There's multiple emotions out there. You just narrow it down to these five. And with these five, they have connection to your body. Your body is going to explain to you which five of those you're experiencing. If you're feeling cold and clammy or whatnot, maybe you're in a place of fear. Maybe you're in that fight or flight situation. Right? 
And so for me, it's taking that second to be like, well, actually, I feel quite light, I feel pretty chill. I think I'm in a place of like happiness. Mm. You know, I'm in a place to share with beautiful people stories about myself, stories about them, stories about just being an athlete. That's how I feel right now. And so that's how, in basic terms, that's where I look. I look at these five emotions. I take a moment to take a breath so I can feel within my body. I make a connection. And then I further, whether it's reaching out to my sports site, reaching out to a friend, reaching out to whatever support looks like to me, and then having that conversation. Are your clients athletes as well? Not currently. I would like to get more in that direction. I think we're in a day and age now where people are looking for support in multiple different directions, many different facets, whether it's a clinical sports psychologist or it's a counselor or it's a holistic almond, you know, what, however we want to approach it, you know, everyone's looking for support, definitely more so now, but it's also because we're having this conversation. Yeah. I was just thinking you have a lot of valuable experience in that area. And just talking to you now, I know a lot of people, especially athletes would benefit. So. So I see sports psychology in your future. <laughs> Speaking of being a human being, I'm like, I'm 35. I ought to go to school for another four years to get master's and then, or two, I, you know, I don't even know. That's the thing. I don't even know what they are. And so I'm already creating that anxiety behind <laughs> me or being like, I, I don't know how long it's going to be. But the thing is, whether it's four years, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to be the same age while I started now or not. Right? It's not like I'm too old. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. We are in a linear motion. <laughs> it's never going to change. So, mm-hmm. Well, if it makes you feel any it. better, Lowell's going to be 40 November 13th. And we just paid off his student loans for school like a couple of years ago. <laughs> so, he, so he'd be about the same age as you when he finished. Yeah, but I'm looking at both of you and I'm like, oh, look at this. I get to do like a podcast interview with a couple 25-year-olds. So, <laughs> you know, it's nope. like... I'm older than you, man. Older than you. Yeah. Me too. Clean shaven, you know, clean shaven. Your hair is done. Thank you. I'm glad you noticed that I'm clean shaven. (laughs) Julie, you got to shave off the mustache. I did that for you. (laughs) That's incredible. Okay. I was thinking when you were talking about throwing the shot put in minus two, did you also practice for the heat? Because I imagine holding that steel ball in plus a thousand, it felt like you were holding the sun. Yeah, no, it didn't feel like the sun. Okay. It probably felt like it when I threw it because I was mm-hmm. throwing it so far. It's flying. Yeah. Meteor, <laughs> meteor through the air. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard you say some really powerful words, and you've definitely done your work. You're on this beautiful journey. One of the things we need to talk about is this unpacking of connection and the relationships, right? The quality of life is determined by the quality of our relationships. And I'm wondering how that has sunk into your life. So the people and the lessons you've learned along the way. I've already heard mom at a young age helping you with this bullying stage, but who are the people in your life and what have they taught you? After I won, I was asked like, who's your support? And my first answer was me. Why I said me is because if I don't have a relationship with myself, it's tough to maintain all the relationships outside. That's something I had to learn. And I've always had this simple terms. I've always been like, if I want to give you an apple, I have to possess one. Mm. If I don't possess an apple, I can't give you one. So the same thing applies to love. If I'm not in love with myself, or if I don't show love to myself, how can I give it to other people? So yeah, I spent a lot of time in terms of understanding my relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. And since then, now my relationships outside of myself have grown. Some of my biggest relationships, my most empowering relationships are my family, hands down, you know, the support, the love of them. But it wasn't always easy. Mm. You know, I I was a teen once and I got mad at my mom and dad. Mm. I totally had a time where I was one of those like angry kids that yelled every once in a while. And the thing is, when you're big and you just speak louder, it sounds like yelling, but you know. Is your family tall as well? No, mom and dad are like 5'9", 5'10". Whoa. And siblings? My brothers are 6'1", 6'2". All right, so where did your height come from? <laughs> the joke is the, the milkman was oh, like yeah. <laughs> six eight with one leg, yeah. 
Yeah, my mom has some cousins that are six seven, six eight. My dad's brothers are about six four. So there is height there. Yeah. I have an extra chromosome too. I'm an XYY versus an XY. So oh, okay. that extra Y they do say plays a bit of a role in height. Okay. But yeah, going back like relationships with my family, you know, and why I was bringing up, I was an angry kid at one point and every that is that, you know, I had to mend those relationships. I had to have those vulnerable conversations, for instance, with my mom being like, I don't like it when you say this, mm -hmm. that's not who I am. And since having those vulnerable conversations, my relationship with my mom has grown dramatically and mm -hmm. I still have them to this day. I own my own business. My mom is my bookkeeper. I Aww. literally just had a conversation like this yesterday. <laughs> but that's what's really important to me is because these relationships mean the most to me. Mm -hmm. And so in order to maintain that relationship, you got to put it to work. Yeah. Vulnerability with safe people leads to growth, leads to connection, leads to deeper love. 100%. Oh, I could just listen to you talk for... I love it. <laughs> you know, I think I could listen to you all day too. If you choose to continue your athletics career for another Paralympics, then hopefully you guys can hang out in real life in Paris. Yeah, yeah. I'll just come to Lethbridge. I'm cool with it. Oh, yeah. Where are you in Kamloops now? I am. Yeah. yeah. Um, other relationships too, though, like my girlfriend, she's an incredible person, mm -hmm. but she also has an idea of who she is too. Mm -hmm. So we bounce that concept off of one another. I know this whole concept, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated, how you reflect upon yourself is reflected upon others. This is the case with my girlfriend. It's the case with everybody in my family, in my relationships, right? Because that's how I'm holding myself. And so my coach, you know, I've got a great relationship with him. It wasn't easy. You know, I'm being coached by the greatest Canadian thrower ever. Mm -hmm. He's an athlete before he's a coach, but now he's a coach. Oh. So it's understanding and balancing. Don't get me wrong. There's many frustrated times in there, many. <laughs> but he was also my coach and he's also helping me push through things, right? I think if your coach isn't pushing you through or isn't supporting you through, maybe it's not a good connection. This is my experience or at least my thoughts on it. A coach should help push you over that top, but safely support you through it. And Dylan definitely did that multiple times. <laughs> did you train in Kamloops or where were you mainly training? Yeah, I always trained in Kamloops. Kamloops actually used to be the National Throw Center at one point. Oh, wow. So we have all the amenities. We have everything here. So actually during COVID, there was about a three-month span there where we weren't allowed to train inside. But we still had access to four training circles just down the road. Oh, nice. I'm extremely grateful that I was here in Kamloops, especially as a thrower, because we didn't skip a beat a whole lot. Yeah, that's definitely an advantage during COVID. Yeah, because you listen to the stories of people out east, it was very bad. Mm. You know, and I feel for those athletes that managed to come out and at least, you know, finish their race or make a podium or whatnot. Mm -hmm. because this was challenging times, both physically and mentally. Yeah, for sure. You have said before, one of your mottos is trust in the process. What does that mean to you? When I say trust in the process, I think what I'm really saying to myself is just being in this moment. I can't control the future and I sure as hell can't control the past. All I can do is what I'm doing right now, dumbing it down to one foot in front of the other. But it, I think it's an important thing to teach, not only to myself and to act in it, but to pass it down to the younger ones. Mm -hmm. Those are honestly the ones that I think that need it the most. We're a disconnected society right now. And to be able to trust in the process or be in this moment, I think will really help us move forward in many different ways. Mm -hmm. But yeah, trusting in the process. I remember when I coached high school basketball, this is five or six years ago, and that was our focus. That was our motto was to trust in the process. So if we get fouled or whatever happens in the game, that no matter what the outcome, just trust in the process that this is going to continue us moving forward. Mm -hmm. And there's so much we can learn in the moment. I always ask people what being in the moment looks like. So I'm going to ask you guys a question. To you, tell me what a cup looks like. The one that yeah. men use as protective equipment or the one that you drink out of? <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Depends on what you're... Uh, I don't want to go that way the one that you drink out of, yeah. What does it look like? A cup can look like many things. A cylinder with a bottom. There you go. Holds water. You're able to sip out of it, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Now, being in the moment, explain to me what a cup looks like. I have to visualize a cup that I've seen in the past or a cup that I would use, and I could describe that cup that I'm picturing yeah. in my mind. Exactly. But in order to picture it, you have to pull it from the past. Mm. 
So by being in the moment, you don't even know what a cup is. Mm. And so why I bring that up is I think it's important about being in the moment, trusting in the process is that everything is so new, but at the same time too, by being in the moment, we can now be in that place of integrity and know that the universe or whatever you want to call it is going to support you in that time because you don't have to think about it anymore. So that's why when, like, again, when I went into throwing, right. Or when you're on the velodrome, like when you're going around there, being in the moment, you don't have to do anything is do. Mm-hmm. It's something I read here a few years ago and it just has made such an impact on me in terms of like understanding being in the moment. Mm-hmm. At the same time, too, I think being in the moment would bring you back to the day you were born. Everything's new. You don't know what anything is. <laughs> That's why we're all like, when we're babies, we're like, whoa, what is that? What is this? Yeah. Continuing to learn and be curious. Yeah. And explore and, and feel what you're feeling now. It's expanding the range of emotion that I'm not only here to experience the quote unquote positive emotions, but to just sit with the whole range of being a human. I heard you earlier saying, Tears, sadness, fear, all of these are part of that experience. They are. And it's important to experience them, be a part of them, accept them, move through them. That's all huge, really important stuff. Not to go too deep into it, but that's why I brought that stuff up earlier is if we're not experiencing them, we're not experiencing everything else around us. When we get angry, be angry, be in a safe way, make sure you're in a safe space, everything like that. But actually allow yourself to feel that. Because mm-hmm. by, by not, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, by not experiencing it, well, now we're just putting it away. It's still there. Yeah. But by experiencing it, we're able to move through it. We're able to move on. I think it's important for people to see big athletic guys like you two showing emotion like that. Because, you yeah. know, stereotypically and in the past is, you know, big big sport guys, you know, you wouldn't see the emotion or maybe it's not cool to show the emotion. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really valuable that you guys are both willing to show your emotion shedding that man script yeah right? that don't show emotion right emotion is weakness yeah oh totally no my biggest strength is showing it i think that and laughing <laughs> laughter like yeah 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 you two are very similar <laughs> <laughs> laughter is good uh one of our angles for this podcast really is how our obstacles become opportunities depending on our mindset and how we move through it And right now, from somebody who's done the work, a lot of work on yourself and helping others get through it, what would you say to those who are currently struggling in life, in sport, in their mental health? What are some of your mantras or some of your words of encouragement? How do people get through the difficult times? Get support. Takes a village, eh? Reach out. Even if it's as simple as like, hey, start the dialogue, start the conversation. I know it sucks. You know, I'm going through post-game blues. It sucks. But I also know that I have my incredible girlfriend. I have my family. I have my uh, counselor. I have so many people around me that are willing to listen and that are also willing to support me. I know the hardest part is reaching out because we feel alone in this. We feel like we're the only person that is experiencing this in our life. Yet every single person around us has had that sort of feeling in their life already. So it is straight up reach out for support. Mm-hmm. We're not meant to do this alone. Yeah, we don't have to. I want to share my brother's experience. You know, my brother's a nurse. Oh, awesome. Thank you, nurse brother. Absolutely. First responders. My dad was a cop for 40 years. like So I'm oh, definitely wow. well aware of first response. My brother has had to take a break. The morale is incredibly down right now. The support is not there in the work environment, but it's still there. It was last weekend we were chatting and it's like somebody shared an experience they had. And then all of a sudden I started crying. Like this is him sharing it. And he's like, I finally was able to relate to somebody else's experience. Mm -hmm. That's what support looks like. It's that connection, that feeling of, wow, I'm not the only one that had two experiences. And it can be the worst thing in the world that you've experienced. And it could just be a little thing for them, but it still is the same experience. The power of connection. That we're not alone. Yeah. It helps normalize the experience. I love that you're able to say that this idea of when we're struggling, reach out for support. There are people there, family, friends, coaches, mental health coaches, psychologists, counselors, reach out for help, get the support that you need, and then pay it forward. Totally. When we experience the help, 
some of my darkest days when I was going blind and struggling with my own anxiety and depression, the people who helped me through that. And now I'm the person who's helping to give hope and support in the difficult times for those. And we're being uniquely gifted. And what I hear, Greg, is that you are uniquely gifted from the work you've done, the pain you've done, the self-empowerment, but the ability to then connect. You are uniquely gifted to support the people in your life, to serve the people in your life. And that creates deep meaning. So thank you for doing that, for reaching out to others. Absolutely. Well, thank you for reaching out to me. <laughs> well, thank you for responding and thank you for yeah, taking the time absolutely. to chat with us. Hey, no problem. Can I throw a little plug up there? Please, Please do. Yeah. Yeah. Plug away. I'm learning the podcast side of things and I'm going to be starting my own podcast also. Oh, in January is the plan. Yeah. So the podcast is called The Mentally. Cool. Basically, it's an opportunity just like this to share your story. And it's an opportunity. And, you know, I'm, I know we are going to be chatting. <laughs> <laughs> but having these deep conversations about our mental health, especially as an athlete. Yeah. Being an athlete's incredible and it comes with the highs and lows and stuff like that. But we're also looked up to, you know, we're also placed on that pedestal. And yeah. what an incredible platform for us to mm -hmm. share our experiences so that not only can we connect with other athletes, but we can also connect to general population. Yeah. We can connect to that, you know, 17 year old boy or girl who's struggling with identity because their friends are doing this and this person's doing that. But it's like, well, hey, I've met, I've been struggling with my identity for 15 years. Like, yeah. I hear you. And to hear that somebody that you have on a pedestal also has those struggles is very meaningful. Exactly. And then on top of it, too, looking at the psyche of a human being. Why do athletes react this way? That's what I love about our health, our mental health is that we are so deeply connected that it doesn't matter what your situation is. We're all going to experience it. The mental leap is just an opportunity to, again, to share stories, talk more on the mental health side of things, learning for us to do what we want, love what we do, and have fun while doing it. Awesome. For sure, let us know when you start sharing episodes, and we'll give you another shout-out. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. Well, I got like a parapunt that I want to say, but we don't quite know each other well enough. But I also feel like I can because I'm a para-athlete too. But did you see your blindness coming? Boom, boom. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> did I see my... You so, knew it was coming. So the interesting piece is I don't have a lot of sight, but I do have a lot of vision. Eh? See, Ooh, see what he did that's there? Deep. I like that. <laughs> oh, man. And this was a thing with Tokyo. He was aiming for Tokyo 2020. And he was calling yeah. it Vision 2020 because it's, you know, 2020 yeah. vision. Yeah. Now I got a Vision 2024. I don't know. Whatever that's going to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, wait, you can play a role in that because 2024, like the word F-O-R. So you could, I am seeing. 2024. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. Work, workshop it, you yeah. guys. Workshop it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> 2020 for uh. greatness. <laughs> <laughs> Paris 2024 greatness. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I approve yeah. of this message. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you are a gentleman and a scholar. Oh, you are a man you. of depth and emotion. And humor. And humor. And we have really fully enjoyed this time with you. Thank you for bringing your authentic, genuine self with integrity to this conversation. And we look forward to seeing what you do. And we will follow along your podcast journey and your sport journey if it continues. Thank you very much for taking this time to have these connections, have these conversations, you know, and bring a little bit more of the light to a dark situation. Mm -hmm. Well, you guys are incredible. Thank you for sharing this obstacles and opportunities. There's no question that there are tons, there's endless opportunities. So thanks for sharing it with us. So. Well, the pleasure is ours. And thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome. Have a great day, Greg. Take care. <laughs> thanks Bye. guys. Bye. Enjoy. The Greg Stewart. Greg R. Stewart on Instagram. That was an enjoyable conversation. I love it when my mind is just blown by these athletes. I was expecting him to be super cool, but then he was super duper duper cool and fun. Yeah, we are able to come alongside these other individuals who've done work, who've worked really hard on themselves, on their sport, on their mental health, and to hear all the work that Greg has done in individual sport as well as all the background in team sports. He's one of those people, much like Ross Beckering actually, funny that they know each other, that I think you could be locked in a room with 
for like 17 weeks and just talk nonstop. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of wisdom and yeah. the depth that he brings to the conversations, to his thinking, to this idea of our, our well-being and how we can connect to something deeper within ourselves and also within others. The idea of the five emotions that actually comes from psychology, which is pretty cool. This idea that we have these five main emotions within us that all the rest can kind of be paired into and kind of nuanced with. Just naming our emotions to tame them, naming our emotions to experience them and to share them. When I asked him about the basics of what to do, he came back to this idea of just take a breath and check in with self. And that's really, really powerful. And I encourage all of you who are listening to this to try that. In a moment, you start noticing your heart racing. You start noticing, starting to feel a bit off with an emotion that you're feeling. Just take a second to take a breath and check in with yourself and ask, what are you feeling? And what is that emotion? Name it. What is happening? And be curious about it. And you'll find a level of depth within that. So congratulations, Greg has a Paralympic record. He's a champ. He uh, has that gold medal around his neck and he's continuing to develop. Now he's going to have his own podcast. As we were chatting with him, I was already thinking he was an excellent fit as a podcast guest. And then when he said he was starting his own podcast and what it's all about, I'm like, oh, it's an even better fit. Podcast host. Makes sense. Yeah. Just <laughs> spew that wisdom out there, Greg. <laughs> Absolutely. An experience. As we release this podcast, this is a weekend that I will be racing the track national championships in Milton. We are really hoping to come home with two gold medals. I'll put that out there right now. That's the hope. That's the goal. National championships in track, which I haven't received yet, and hoping to get our A standard to qualify us to selection for Paris World Championships in March, April. You're already national road champs, so let's see if we can add the track to it. Try to get four championships, national championships in one year. That'd be awesome. So I'll update as I can at Julie Lolcan. Also, his pilot, Ed, is really good at updating in the stories at Real Deal Veal on Instagram. And while you're checking the Instagram, you may as well start following Greg as well. His Instagram handle is Greg underscore R underscore Stewart. All right. That's another great podcast in the books. We appreciate having you on this journey with us, and we hope to release many more great stories, many more great podcasts as we move forward. Yeah. So, thanks, thanks y'all. Yeah. <laughs> thanks y'all for listening. Till next time. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.